0: Welcome back to the YouthWorks Effective Ministry podcast, the podcast that helps you to have an effective youth and children's ministry in your local church. My name is Tim Bielhartz. I'm a children's ministry advisor at YouthWorks. This episode is part three of our postcards from Nashville and the last one in this series. If you've been following along, you'll know that I had the pleasure of catching up with a number of the presenters, authors, and thought leaders of Intergenerational Ministry at the 2023 Intergenerate Conference in Nashville and I recorded short little snippets with each of them. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, you're going to want to search back in your podcast feed for conversations with Christina Embry, Tony Souter, Gene roca Jason Bryan-Santos, Mimi Larson, and Darren Phillips. But in this episode, we're going to first hear from Stacey Davis from Dallas Theological Seminary. Stacy shares about some of ancient Israel's intergenerational faith formation practices and their ongoing relevance for today. Interestingly, Stacey notices that many of these faith practices happened outside of the gathered church or synagogue. Now, this was particularly relevant when considering that sometimes there are external factors that may prevent us from attending church face-to-face, such as COVID lockdowns. So what can we learn from ancient Israel and how to apply it today? That's what Stacey is going to share with us. Next up, we have Amy Yu, who is the Next Gen Ministries Pastor at Scarborough Chinese Baptist Church in Toronto. Amy's church is trilingual, which means she's not only thinking through intergenerational ministry, but also how to apply that in an intercultural space as well. Finally, I chatted with Steve Case, President of Involve Youth and Adjunct Professor at Andrews University, a Seventh-day Adventist university there in the States. Steve presented twice at the conference, one on finding a deep theology for intergenerational ministry through a nuanced reading of scripture, and then also on intergenerational Bible studies, particularly how everyone in the study, but especially older people, were benefiting from the mutuality of relationships and proclamation. So stay tuned for that. As I said at the start of the series, I hope that these short little snippets whet your appetite for intergenerational ministry and spark your imagination. Part of an effective ministry to youth and children is embedding them in intergenerational faith communities, otherwise known as churches. I hope these postcards from Nashville have helped you consider ways in which you too can express intergenerational discipleship in your church. Now let's jump in with Stacey, Amy and Steve. Well, I'm here with another postcard from Nashville. This time with Stacy Davis. Stacy, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are in the world of intergenerational ministry.
1: Sure. So, I'm a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I teach in the Education and um, Educational Ministry and Leadership Department. And so, as such, I teach classes that um, are like to our students that desire to lead ministries and. Um, my focus, because I worked in the church and children's ministry, I tend to lead our children's um, special t- specialization courses. At, um, and then I also teach how to teach, how to be in ministry. I teach our doctoral students. And then I also volunteer at a church in Dallas in children's ministry, and I told them put me where you need me. And they put me in kindergarten. So that's super fun. I teach the <laughs> the youngest elementary kids. And so that's a little bit about me.
0: Yeah, wonderful. It's really fun putting the theory into practice in the local context as well, isn't it? I
1: don't think so. I, and then I also love encouraging the, the staff that works there and just seeing all the things that they do. Absolutely. I like it.
0: Yeah, perfect. Second question. When did the term intergenerational sort of first come across your radar? And what piqued your interest as a concept as a way of approaching ministry
1: sure so i'm from um, orange county california and i worked at saddleback church when sticky faith came out and so i was in the children's department there and and i remember hearing dr Kara powell's and fuller youth Ministries findings from sticky faith and that's really the first time i heard about it obviously it was more for a youth ministry context but um because we the large churches Um, Once you hit a certain grade, like third grade, they're all in one room. So it felt like preteen youth ministry for eight-year-olds. And so it was a really cool way. We had sometimes on a Sunday morning, like 200 little eight-year-olds, third and fourth, and with all the volunteers of all ages in one space. And we could have third-grade volunteers all the way to like a 99-year-old volunteer. So I remember looking at that and reading it going, wow, Maybe the five to one could be in my context, and kind of thinking of ways how to apply it, how to think of how my youth volunteers could be mentored by my high, by my adult volunteers, and fit that one out of five, or excuse me, be one of the five people in their five people to every one paradigm. So that was the first time I heard about it.
0: That's the five continues to be super relevant as well in the conversation, particularly that just the simple five to one is one of the yes. the sticky statistics from that book in terms of yeah, yes. how do we actually implement this, that it's important for children to have significant number of intergenerational relationships who are holding them in faith, which is wonderful. Yes. Now, that's going to play into what you talked about. Uh, at our recent Intergenerate conference, you presented a paper yes. called Applying Ancient Israelite Intergenerational Practices Today, <laughs> especially in light of the pandemic. Most of our audience is Australian in the Australian context. So speaking from your context in the US, Tell us about the the impact of the pandemic and what you have noticed in your context about the way that pandemic has shaped church life and faith life.
1: Oh, great question. So I looked at um, some stats from the Christianity Today Pew research and LifeWay research about the American context. And obviously, April 2020, like 100% of churches were not, a, were not meeting pretty much in the United States. And then there was a decline after that where even people... Um, I found one stat that said people who went once a week, only like 68% of those people (laughs) go once a month now post the pandemic. And so there seems to be some solid research that says church attendance is down. And then obviously some uh, talk to a pastor or anybody else and they say, yeah, it just hasn't been the same since. So it was fun thinking about how um, different people who we call significant um, heroes of the faith how they were raised in the Lord with very little or no church, what we would call religious church experiences. And so maybe thinking, wow, maybe there are things we could do, and they seem to be a bunch of intergenerational ministry practices. And so it made me think, I wonder if our churches um, spent time like just – of educating our parents or entire communities that maybe we could implement these type of things um, and that could help faith transmission with our kids and our community and lots of um, different ways to create those future Joshuas and those future Josephs and Esthers. So yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we noticed here in Australia when church shut down and we weren't able to go, mm. Even I mean, many people in my context uh, would not have said we are program-driven, we really want you know bums mm-hmm. on seats, we really want numbers in our church. And yet at the same time when we weren't able to do those things, there was this collective freak out of, oh my goodness, how do we actually do ministry? Because even though we wouldn't yes. have espoused programs as a priority, in actual fact what we were doing was program-driven and it was based on people coming into church and being able to do our children's youth young adults etc ministry with people in the pews or in the church building um, etc so you've sort of highlighted that it maybe perhaps particularly as we look at some of these old testament characters uh, especially some of those that you mentioned that we sort of hear about for the first time in their adolescent years that they didn't really have necessarily a church context so what did you, what do you notice about the way that they have intergenerational discipleship? What does faith formation look like for them that we might learn from in a you know, post church or post COVID context?
1: Love it! I say I came out with four different themes. And um, the four themes I found was um, I called the first one a definition of God. The community understood who God was. And we know that from like the Shema that all the society seemed to know. And that helps if everybody's collectively talking about the same thing and the same definition. It was amazing how other people involved could help this child know about God. Um, the second thing I found was a lot of involvement that children were involved heavily in the lord and in learning um in the practices of god in the home and in the society and the community and just even through scripture we see that we see um isaac when he goes up to be um sacrificed by abraham he says where is the lamb and so he, it goes to show he knew what was part of this like what this was involved how this worked
0: which again in a sort of a Yeah, late 20th, early 21st century, we think of children being involved. Yeah, of course, they're in children's church, they're in children's ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, they're involved. But yeah, you're showing the obvious, which is actually it doesn't have to be programmatically driven in that same way.
1: No, and the fact that he would know, that's something they did all the time, right? And he would know what, what his dad needed and where to find it. And it was his dad doing it with his son versus they didn't go to a group to do it. You're absolutely right. So that was an interesting thing, how they were involved Um, They were also, um, they had a lot of observation, a lot of time to observe their families. And um, they did that through like the apparel people wore, the phylacteries that were worn, the rituals that happened. They say that like young boys especially would watch their dads do daily religious activities. And then they would learn language from their moms in the house. They would have all these kind of things that would help them become adults, and then there were there were religious items in the house. We know about the I think it's called pronounced the Masusa um, on the door that had the Shema on it, and then there were also like altars and offerings and benches and ceramic vessels. So yeah, all of these things are educating them outside of just going to a worship service um, once a week. And then lastly, I noticed that they would intentionally educate, like as a community, that children would recite the Shema every morning and every evening. So that's not necessarily something they'd have to go to church to do, but every morning and every evening, um, they had Torah and moral formation. Well, sure, that could have been at the synagogue, but also in the home, a sense of like Torah-centric education, um. Reading scripture, and then they taught about they were they learned about the works of God. We learned about that in Deuteronomy six, the, um, thirteen through twenty five. That they learned about the works, the history, the commands, and the character of God, and then exposure to moral formation based on the scripture on how like you follow the God the law of the of God, and then lastly they were intentionally educated through holidays and ceremonies. So the children were always involved in those things. And they experienced um, holy days, festivals, celebrations, all these customs. Obviously, the Sabbath, it's mentioned in Amos and Isaiah and is central in, Je- in Jeremiah 17. And then there's also circumcision. We see that like really early, Genesis 34 and things like that. But these were all things that children would have seen. But one of my favorite quotes by like Dr. Estep and his History and Philosophy uh, um, Christian Education book is, Everything was centered around God, so their life was centered around God. Everything, not just in, not just Sunday or a church idea.
0: Yeah, I think um, that idea that if everything is centered in that way is really good. Now we are noticing uh, something from a culture, you know, three thousand years ago. So, <laughs> what's the translation work? We're now in the twenty first century. We're now post pandemic um, in. Western cultures, which is highly individualistic, not as much of that ecosystem of household and clan and tribe and et cetera Mm. that they would have had in ancient Israel. So Mm -hmm. you asked a question right at the end, which was how can church leaders teach like this? Give us the answer. How do we teach in this way? (laughs)
1: Um, I think it's just like I like that you thought about that you include that thinking. um, They thought of the family, quote, unquote, differently, not just a parent and a child or two parents and a child. They thought of it as... Um, The immediate family, the near relatives, the distant relatives, the caregivers, the servants, all these different people. So I think for people to implement this is to do those four different things. Or can you live on a clear definition of God? Ephesians says we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So I think that's just something we can all think of. How can we um, remember that we have one faith um, and one Lord and then for us going, um, okay, Let's also involve. We see that in the early church that all believers devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. So how can we involve children into not just church services, but everything you do? Maybe that's um, worshiping together, holidays, weddings and baptisms and funerals. Those are great things to involve children in so they can see what is a life with God. Obs- observation. How can you observe? Invite, allow children to observe? Obviously, weddings, funerals, and allow them to observe, but those are some ways. But um, but maybe thinking about that same idea that 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 apparel or the outside, maybe we hang items in the house, pictures of baptisms, Christmas decorations. Obviously, are a very um, educational way. Um, and then the modeling, do we model? what a person of faith is, and that could be verbally sharing testimonies of how God has worked in your life. We see that in the Old Testament, them sharing how God has worked in their life and what God has done and passing on the works of God. And you can pass on the Old Testament works of God or your own um, works of God, how he's worked in your house
0: yeah you just got this holistic picture of how to involve the kids in their life i think it was um possibly tim keller it sounds like something tim keller would say about (laughs) having a um, household christian ecosystem and that involved that idea that just lot everything in that life as you said uh, mentioned earlier about ancient israel that everything is focused around god the the pictures on the wall the clothes that you wear the diet that you eat everything is actually focused it's it's god given and while we don't live under those ancient israelite cultic practices we still yeah have the opportunity, the freedom um, as a Christian to shape things around Christ uh, and and center everything yeah, on him.
1: Absolutely. like removing obligation, but still, like, wow, these were awesome ideas. You know that every Friday they'd stop and remember God. And, and there's something cool about that. And they didn't need to go anywhere. They could do that in their house. they could do that all these ty- anywhere they were, they could do those types of things. Um, I was just at the um, a museum in. Ronald Reagan library out in California has a Auschwitz exhibit right now. And they said, even when they were put on the trains, it was a Friday, you know, sent to places they didn't know where they were going one of the women had candles with her and she observed the set like wow that's powerful right like you take god with you everywhere um but what a but if you've learned to take god with you everywhere and celebrate god with you everywhere what could that be
0: that's really good thank you so much stacy it's been great to hear from you and your expertise in this area thanks for sharing on the podcast
1: oh my pleasure thank you for having me tim
0: here with another postcard from Nashville. This time I'm here with Amy Yu. Amy holds a D-Min from the Associated Canadian Theological Schools and is the Charged Lead Pastor of Next Gen Ministries at Scarborough Chinese Baptist Church in Toronto, Ontario. Thanks for coming on, Amy. Hi,
2: Tim. Good morning. Good morning.
0: It is very more early morning. Um, we both went out uh, checking out downtown Nashville last night, so it's a bit of an early morning with not much sleep. But tell us, where are you in the world of intergenerational ministries? Where are you located, denomination, and then sort of describe your context because it's quite unique compared to other people that I've had on. Yeah,
2: we're from Toronto, uh, Ontario, Canada. So I'm Canadian. Um, and my church actually located in a uh, city, it's called Scarborough, which is uh, very centralised with um, ethnic ethnic groups like Chinese um, Indian, Sri Lankan, um, and quite multicultural.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Which uh, is has been the the interest of your work is the multicultural, multilingual aspect, and we'll, we'll get into that. But when did the term or the ideas of intergenerationality first sort of cross your horizon and become aware that that was a a thing worth exploring?
2: You know this is like a, a memory check. I can remember a pinpoint a, a a time, but I just remember that like when I started my children's ministry. Uh, at church and I was wondering why these kids always be in the basement. <laughs> and uh, also um, they had no time, ta- uh, no opportunity to witness like communion, baptism, uh, or even like some very important uh, events like uh, sending out missionaries or ordinate, uh, trying to do, uh, trying to ordain pastors, like all these important event events that they are not even there. And then on Sunday morning, um very very rarely that we brought children into the adult sanctuary so I had a question wondering why and also at which point that they should be going and um because I was an English pastor at um, in a Chinese church context for uh, 10 years English mas- uh, English pastors means in a Chinese term means like in the it is a, a congregation under Cantonese immigrant con congregation and when their kids uh, second generation or third generation grow up that they move to the English service um, and usually it's like grade seven but they didn't like it mm. <laughs> and they didn't like to move to uh, another congregation so all these questions that came to my mind I start thinking uh, until um, I start reading the book um, intergeneration faith formation spiritual formation and Matt Holly. Then, like, I dive into this topic a bit more.
0: Excellent. And so, you've done a doctor of ministry. Since then, you've researched uh, your context, and you've done led a paper this week on intergenerational ministry in a trilingual church. So, there's a particular context. So, what have you found in your research? What are the particular challenges of being in a a trilingual congregation, ministering to across those, not just. Uh, across generations, but across cultures, across ethnicities, across language groups, what have been the particular challenges? What have you found? Mm-hmm.
2: That's a very good question. I find um, it is extremely challenging. <laughs> if we all feel that, like in a m- mono-language church, it's a challenge to bring all generations together. Uh, that at a layer of complexity when three language coming together with three different culture and different generations within the culture, that's subcultures as well, uh, I find that it was super difficult. However, since my background has been in trilingual church for 30 years, 33 years mm-hmm. actually. Okay. Yes, and, and I, I, I'm wondering like if that possible to bring generations together to overcome these um, language and culture barriers so that we will be taking the benefit of um, being together and how other adults models the faith for the younger generations so uh, my research actually was the intergenerational ministry impact on children's and adults faith in the light of the barriers and challenges in the trilingual context. So what I find was one fascinating thing is like I never thought about like there's definitely not being together having negative, Positive, not actually. I don't know if it's positive, but I'm mainly doing uh the study on when we bring them together. What are the impact? So that can be positive and challenges. And in my interview, there's one thing that I would li- like to share with you. uh This grew up like she grew up in the church and served in children ministry, and uh, she shared how she perceived sanctuary, adult sanctuary, as a scary place. Interesting. And um, Overcoming that fear mm. took time, Yes, but like a sanctuary is supposed to be a place that welcome all people, right? But being a child, not being in the larger community, entering is a threat and create fears. Um, fortunately, and by the grace of God, she overcome and with many different factors that she... Uh, becoming a children's ministry leaders. And that's why she is a big advocate Mm. of like bringing kids in the presence of others. Um, And the challenges is like um, we need to be inclusive. And very often we need to do interpretation, simultaneous interpretation. We need to be culture sensitive. If we do a worship, uh, we can be using like, either like adult way or just a children-friendly way. It is it is a challenge. There's, yeah. there's, there's also another aspect of buy-in. Mm-hmm. Um, not many people understanding what intergenerational ministry means. Yeah, and you were
0: sharing with me just before that for your congregation, the term intergenerational ministry, intergenerationality would have no context. There'd be very little understanding of what that idea is means the adults in our church in your church do they notice and and want all generations to be together what, what do they think would be effective for their young people growing up
2: oh that's i think like as you show like there's opinion their diverse opinion mm. but i think in general people will believe that specialization is the best yep and then moving kids like away from the adults and hiring the best pastor, best youth pastor, children's pastor will uh, give the best environment for the kids. So um, education, mental preparation is another layer of challenge. Like how uh, education, mental preparations are uh, take time. Like mm-hmm. we need to take time to help people to understand. And also like one of the aspect of why I do this research because like in the current Market <laughs> or in the current available resources, there's not much talking about trilingual context challenges, and yes. that's a gap of research. And I'm hoping that starting somewhere uh, will spark the conversation and increase awareness as well, and also get my fellow pastors from trilingual context that hey, this is possible, and there are problems that have you ever thought about, or do you aware of the problems that are around you? It might look really good for now that when kids are out of sight, it is out of mind, and you don't see the problems either. <laughs> but in the future, they all together drop out. They all together not interest because there's no previous relationship connected to the larger community. Even though there's different language, different barriers, but I believe communication can be different forms. Mm. Language is only one aspect. So it is possible, I still believe that, it is possible to overcome challenges and bring all generations together among different languages.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you've got the complexity of intergenerationality, you've got the complexity of trilingual culture, and, and you're hopeful that these things can be overcome. It's really exciting. We look forward to hearing more from you, reading your work, and yeah, that'd be wonderful. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you. I'm back with another postcard from Nashville, this time with Steve Case. Uh, Steve, your bio here says you hold a PhD in religious education, and you're president of Involve Youth, an adjunct professor at Andrews University. Give us some context around here. Who are you? Where in the world are you? And denominationally, where do you sit?
3: Yeah, I live in in the United States, uh, in California specifically, so that's the West Coast, uh, Northern California. And... um, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Protestant denomination, and only about 180 years old, so not hasn't been around that long. <clears throat> and growing up, I felt a call from God, but I, I didn't identify with most pastors, and it was in college I got a job working for a youth pastor. And that's where it kind of I found a niche. It's like this is what God has called me to. So I've been involved in all kinds of forms of youth ministry since that time. So more than forty years now, I've been doing that. That's
0: fantastic. Yeah. And I, I just said to you before, you presented last night, and I can see the inner youth minister. Yes. you Just come out really strongly. It's it's still evident the passion that you have. <laughs>
3: I, I I love the uh, openness and the change and the transformation that oft, often happens with young people. Some people are intimidated by young people. I'm more intimidated by adults. Right. Um, <laughs> my wife is terrific with children I'm good with children's ministry for anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds and then that's, I, I kind of lose it there yeah, no, that's, that's fair
0: enough. Uh, now, a lot of youth ministry, I imagine both uh, here in America and for us back home in Australia, happens in silos. So you, you specialise, uh, specialisation has been a key marker of youth ministry over the last number of decades, um, which is great because you can target, you can say specifically, here's uh, where they are developmentally, spiritually, maturely, we can disciple them as teenagers in the world of teenagers. Um, which has a lot of benefits, but we're here at Intergenerational Conference. So when did you start to become aware of intergenerationality as an idea, as a movement? You know, where does that come for, through for you? Well, when I
3: started back in the 1980s, uh, we always segregated or siloed the youth away from everybody else. And we would do things that would offend other people, so this was kind of for our survival. <laughs> and, and to not offend people, we were not trying to offend, <clears throat> so we siloed out or we would call it the Mickey Mouse ears. Yes. Yep. So uh, here we were separate. And um, we found that, well, you know, you do this, but you only have them for about an hour or two a week. And where are they all the rest of the time? They're they're somewhere with their families and stuff. So we really can't do youth ministry in isolation. We need to do it with the family. So uh, there, uh, DeVries had a book about family ministry. Group Publishing came out with a book on family ministry. And we started seeing that you can't do youth ministry without considering the family structure and family systems so that kind of broadened my understanding of youth ministry to go beyond the youth and um, then another thing is for some reason youth get older every year they do
0: yeah it's strange that
3: so then when does it stop when when are you no longer a youth <laughs> and uh, so that becomes challenging and then if you keep focusing on that then i guess you go to young adults or emerging adulthood well, okay, if you do that, when do you graduate from that? Mm-hmm. And so this blending kind of thing and this uh, nebulous, when do you finally transition to another thing? I got involved with Andrews University with the doctor ministry program, and I had a, a concentration on called youth and young adult ministry. We went through a bunch of, of people, and then we weren't getting more people into the program. We kind of used up our resources for who's available for this. So Andrew said to me, we can't continue to do this because we don't have students in this area, a specialty. We'd like you to keep teaching any ideas of a new (laughs) concentration. And I said, intergenerational church. And they said, what is that? Yep. And I said, well, this is the direction I see youth ministry going. It's not just family ministry because there are people at church who are not part of a family, but they still have an impact Mm -hmm. on young people and young people have an impact on them. Then I came across the book from this, uh, first intergenerate conference. So I came to the second Intergenerate conference, which was in uh, 2019. 2019, yes. yep. And that was the time that we launched this Intergenerate thing. So I've been growing and learning with my students and with this process of being intergenerational. I think the thing that um, two two things I would pick out about intergenerational or intergenerate is that uh, most churches are already doing something like this. They may be doing it in a limited manner, but they're, they're already doing it. Mm. The other thing is we often look age-wise that older is better. So an older person has something to pass on to the younger person. And being intergenerational is a mutuality. It goes both directions. Yes. So actually, as an adult, I benefit by being with young people. And that's something that many people miss. And yet you can see this happen, for example, in a family when somebody has a child, that child helpless as it is completely changes the lives of the adults. Mm. If you want to get everybody together, you really have to target the young people without excluding the rest that are associated with it. I just went to a kindergarten graduation. Right. What am I doing at a kindergarten graduation?
0: What are you doing? In kindergarten yes, graduation?
3: I was not graduating, <laughs> but I was there because someone who is not my biological grandson was graduating. Mm-hmm. And here I am with all these other people who are biological grandparents. And I'm saying, what are you doing here? And they say, I had no choice. My daughter said I had to be here. So I'm here. I thought I was done when she graduated, but it turns out I still have a part to play. Yep. And the thing is, that five-year-old who's graduating is
0: impacting the grandparents too. I was in a session just earlier this morning with Darren Phillips from the Church of Scotland and he commented that uh, in an intergenerational context, it's actually the adults that most benefit uh, from it, which is a fascinating context. Now you are presenting a couple of times this week. You've um, uh, You've just come from a workshop and you've got a paper later today. Um, Do you want to just give us a quick snapshot? Let's let's think about the paper. You title here is Exploring a Theology of Intergenerational Church from a Nuanced Reading of Scripture. Tell us more about this. Yeah, one of the things that uh,
3: I think that the intergenerational renewal that has been happening comes a lot from a behavioral sciences perspective. So you draw on developmental psychologists and things like that. Yep. But there's not much from scripture and so people look for an isolated version or a verse here or there and they say well jesus blessed the children <clears throat> suffer the children to come to me there that's intergenerational. yep that's an isolated verse
0: yeah yeah and a little so bit of proof texting a little bit yeah. of proof
3: texting and so there's not been much for a, a development of a theology for being intergenerational and so that's what this paper is looking at is how can we get a stronger theology four years ago at intergenerate there was a a paper on The book of Deuteronomy, trying to glean from Deuteronomy. Alistair
0: MacDougall, I think. Yes.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then two years ago, um, Wilson did one on the creation story. I'm going to go with um, creation, redemption, and worship as three themes that are throughout scripture, and then how are those viewed intergenerationally. I think the biggest challenge for a Western culture, I'm from the United States, and I think Australia is fairly individualistic as well. Yes, yeah, we similar there. In in contrast to being a collective, yes, culture, and the Bible times they were collective cultures, and so they didn't have to say be intergenerational; they automatically were. And just one example is <clears throat> Jesus going to the to Jerusalem at the age of twelve with his family. And as a Westerner, we would say, "Why weren't his parents paying attention?" <laughs> well, from a yeah. collection collectivist culture. It's the whole community that was going.
0: Mm-hmm. And who were responsible for it. And who was responsible area. for it. Yeah.
3: And so they were right to be upset with Jesus. Why didn't he stay with the group? And also that it's not
0: neglect for them to have no. not known where he was for a couple of days. No. Yeah. You also did a workshop on uh, when God shows up for an intergenerational Bible study. What does an yeah. intergenerational Bible study look like?
3: Yeah, um, you take a passage of scripture, instead of proof texting and putting a whole bunch together and coming out with a topic, you just take one passage of scripture, and then you say, God, You inspired this originally by sending your Holy Spirit to inspire a writer. We need that same Holy Spirit now as we look at the passage of Scripture Mm -hmm. to interpret it for us. Now, what's hard for me as a pastor is to say, well, if God shows up, who's he going to speak through? (laughs) It may not be me. Interesting. It might be that 10-year-old. Because again, if I go to Scripture... God spoke to Samuel, not to Eli. Not that he couldn't speak to Eli, but he chose Samuel. He even spoke to Balaam's
0: donkey. Yep. So if we're sitting in an intergenerational group, there's an expectation to be attentive that uh, anyone in that group, regardless of age, might actually have some insight into that passage that will help us all grow. Yes. So then there are some
3: Bible study prompts that get people going on it. And then you start listening for the voice of God. What is God going to say
0: to us? And who's he going to speak through? Wonderful. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and getting a quick snapshot uh, of your work. Where can we find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, there's a website called involveyouth.org. Excellent. And you're a part of the Doctorate of... Ministry, Doctor of Ministry at Andrews University, University, uh, which takes intergenerational cohorts.
3: Yes, we're launching a new one in March of next year, March of 24. And um, I I mentioned that these Bible studies that are intergenerational, you can download those for free. We have the whole New Testament. Um, So that's 260. Every chapter of the New Testament has a Bible study on it. And you can download them for free at relationalbiblestudies.com.
0: The Effective Ministry Podcast is a production of YouthWorks in Sydney. We want to see effective youth and children's ministry in every church. And one of the ways that you can help us do that is by letting people know about this podcast in all the usual ways, like comment, share and review on your favorite social media and podcasting platform. If you've got comments, thoughts or questions for this podcast, you can email us at effectiveministrypodcast at youthworks.net. And also check out youthworks.net for other ways that YouthWorks can help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church.